Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. During the week of joy, I just wanted to talk to, um, yeah. So basically, during the third week of Advent, we spent time thinking about joy, and I want to read you guys a Bible verse from Psalms 511. It says, we hear these words, but let who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread them your protection over them, that those who love your name may exalt in you. Let us pray. Um, too often we think joy is something big. Oh God, brass, like a brass band or a parrot can certainly bring us joy. But just as easily and far more often, we can feel joy in a hug or the squeeze of a hand. We can see joy in a smile or hear it in laughter. It helps us not, help us not to overlook the simple joy that peeks into our lives daily. This week in our Advent journey, open our eyes to the joy that surrounds us all. Amen. Thanks for reading for us. Um, as we kind of transition to a time of reading scripture and worshiping in different ways, um, I think this song is very fitting of O, o Come, O Come Emmanuel. That's our joy we celebrate this morning. We'll talk more about that, that he did come, and we also pray that in this moment he fills this room, that his spirit would fill us, that we would feel it, um, and he would speak. So usually we use prayer as a transition, so I'm like really trying to stop doing that. So I was about to say, let's pray real quick as I turn to my page and open my screen for you, but you know what? I already did it, and I, I kind of had a conversation with you, but um, good morning and welcome. My name is Dylan. If we haven't had the pleasure of meeting, um, I work at Renaissance. I'm our outreach director. I would love to get to know you. Let's just get coffee. Um, I'm, I really love coffee. I haven't had coffee in the past like four days because I've been sick, and it's like the worst thing in existence um, to just not have coffee. Um, and it's not an addiction. I can stop whenever I want. I don't have a problem. Um, I'm okay. Um, I'm here, aren't I? Uh, but no, I've been sick this past week with a really bad stomach flu. And so if I'm a little lower energy, just say, hey, come on, wake up or something. And I'll say the same to you. Um, so we're all here. It's all a little cold. It's a little dark. That's winter. Um, every night, Judah and I go out on the porch to say goodnight to the trees and to the moon. It's our ritual for bedtime. And we've taught him now that when he goes out to say goodnight to the moon in the winter, he says, cloudy because it's just always cloudy here, and you can never say goodnight to the moon or really good morning to the sun, because that is the reality of winter here. But we're here, we're awake, we're alive. Get some coffee or tea or there's water or, or whatever and um, get situated. We're going to sit and we're going to read a lot of scripture today, and we're going to be talking about joy. But we're continuing in our Advent series 
Um, and maybe this is your first week you've come in on it and you don't really know what Advent is. That's great. I'm going to explain it for you. Um, Advent literally just means coming or arrival. That word just means arrival or coming. So we focus on the coming or the arrival of Jesus Christ. We look at his birth, why he came, and we look ahead in anticipation of his second coming. Um, And so that's why it's so important for us to do every year. That's why we do it. That's why we spend four weeks in December focusing on the coming of Jesus. It is so important to us. And I read this quote on Advent's origin this week because it's debated when it came about or why it came about. But there's two things that are historically clear about the celebration of Advent. First, in contrast to Lent, which is the weeks leading up to Easter, um, Lent is a somber season of fasting, reflection, and meditation on the suffering of Christ. The weeks leading up to Christmas were full of joy and festivity. In Advent, the church looked back to celebrate the birth of Christ as the fulfillment of God's promise to deliver his people from sin, Satan, and death, which we see in Genesis 3. And they celebrated in excited anticipation of his second coming. Historically, that's what Advent was. This huge looking back celebration and looking forward party of joy and excitement that Christ has come and is coming again. It should be a joyful time. Our Savior has come. And he's coming in. Hey, you knew it was in my notes. I was going to say, amen, church. And you already said it. Amen, church. Amen. He came. And he's coming again. But boy, man, I get distracted. I was sitting over here at the door talking to David about just some of the distractions of Christmas. And just travel and all of the things. And other people, we we share similar things of just the distractions of this season. And I read a really great quote from, you've probably heard me quote this guy a lot, John Piper. I think the older you get, maybe the wiser you get. And I just respect him more and more each year. Um, And maybe it's because he's getting older or maybe I'm getting older and understanding it. But a quote from John Piper on Advent, um, he says, Advent in the Western world has many distractions and dangers. The danger of covetousness or greed. Everybody's shopping. Everyone exposes to you thousands of things you don't need or don't want until you see someone else has them. The danger of depression. It says, tis the season to be jolly, but that just makes things worse when you're lonely, sick, or discouraged. The danger of tension. Everyone seems in a hurry. There's so many places to be, so many gifts to buy, guests to serve, things to do, and deadlines and pressure. And we get distracted. So John Piper said, what we need in Advent is some deep, quiet, unshakable truth from God's word to give us our bearings, keep us on course, and help us walk unmoved by covetousness, freed from depression, and relaxed in the frenzy of this season. This is beautiful. It says, Christmas and Advent are for you to know Christ, to you to know the love of Christ, and to be filled up with the fullness of the joyful God. And that's what we're going to look at today. And it's beautiful. It's amazing. So hopefully we can take a pause this morning. We can sit down, breathe out, and receive this truth. Um, And just some questions like, do we think we need this today? Do we believe that we need him to come, that we needed him to come in the first place, that we need a second coming? Do I need joy or am I just okay? So in Advent, if you've been around with us for a few years or even the past couple weeks, we focus on hope, peace, joy, and love. Um, Today, I've said it a lot. It's probably been on the screen. We're focusing on joy 
today. Um, and I really wanted to just define joy before we start, before we get into any scripture. What is joy? So I simply Googled joy like any normal person would do, how to figure something out. Um, and I went not to Wikipedia. I went to a better source. I went to um, what's the fancy dictionary online, whatever it's called, like the Oxford English Dictionary something. Um, so this is how they said what joy is. Um, it says, the emotion evoked by well-being, success, good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires, a state of happiness. Oh my goodness, that was so depressing. Like I read that this week and I was like, those are the top definitions of joy everywhere. And that seems so fleeting and so unfulfilling. And we find ourselves chasing that joy, that state, that momentary happiness, that state that something brought us because, I, because of this or this little momentary thing that just is so fleeting and passing. And that definition is so crippling. And so I want us to define joy by a biblical standard, true joy. And so a good definition from the Bible um, we can take is joy is an attitude God's people adopt not because of happy circumstances, but because of our hope in God's love and promise. And a little sub-definition. It says, Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own life and love. That's our joy. That's why it's not momentary. That's why it's unchanging. And that's why it's not fleeting. Because it's not based in what we can achieve or what we can do. It's based in the faith and hope and power of what Jesus has done and is going to do when he returns. So our great joy, God promised to send a Savior. And many of you have read it. Jesus has come. Luke 2 10 through 11. Many of you can probably quote this. It says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you news of great joy. Come on. I bring you good news of great joy. Man, y'all are so joyful in this room this morning. I'm glad. Hey, we're doing this message for a purpose. I needed it this week. He said, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Our great joy, our Savior has come. And our Savior is coming again. John 14, 1 through 3. He looks at the disciples. They're like pressed. They're scared. They're like, what are we going to do? You're leaving. You can't leave us. And he looks at them. He says, John 14, 1 through 3. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. He says, you believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you, right? said, and if I go there and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. This is what the joy of Advent is about. This is true joy. Our Savior has come. The angel says, I bring you good news of great joy. And then Jesus looks at his disciples and says, hey, I'm coming back. I'm preparing a place for you. And when I come back, I'm taking you to that place. And it's my father's house. It has many rooms. This is the base of our great joy. And we're going to unpack that today with more scripture. There's a great Advent book. If you want to guess the person who wrote the Advent book, you probably could. Um, I, I trust this person a lot. 
Um, but there's a really good Advent book that I read during this time of the year. It's called The Dawning of Instru- Indestructible Joy. And it was like really awesome that I was preaching on joy this year. And I really love this Advent. Um, and he calls it The Dawning of Inst- Indestructible Joy because the joy Jesus was bringing into the world was like no other kind in history. Once we have it, it cannot be destroyed. Jesus himself said in John 16, 22, no one will take your joy from you. And the beauty I want us to see as we've spent these past two weeks in hope and peace is we see that our hope and peace are, as Graham unpacked, our restoration in and through Jesus are our joy. That is our joy. We find our joy out of the hope that Jesus has come, is coming again, and that in his coming he brought peace and restoration. That is our joy. So in that, let's read Psalms 16. Everyone can go ahead and turn to Psalms 16. This is where we're going to spend a large chunk of our time um, unpacking a really awesome prophetic word by um, King David of one of joy that he was receiving in the Lord and one looking forward to the joy we would receive in the Lord once Jesus had come. So go ahead and turn to Psalm 16. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there's one on that table on the front. You can grab it. It's yours. It's French. It's English. Whichever you would like, it is yours. Um, It's our gift to you. Um, If you want to turn in your phone, you can. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, if that helps. Sometimes it helps to follow along with a specific version, and it'll also be on the screen. So follow along. We'll start in verse 5 of Psalm 16. David writes, he says, Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. You guard all that is mine. The land you have given me is a pleasant land. What a wonderful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice. My body rests in safety, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life, granting me with the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Let me pray. Let me pray. We always pray after scripture. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth in it. God, would you illuminate it? Would you just pierce our hearts with it? Would it be true for us? And and if we're not accepting it, would we struggle with it and wrestle with it until we bring it to the feet of you and understand this in our soul? God, speak this to us. Would you apply it to us today? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're just going to take a verse at a time and look at it and see why this is joyful. So if we start right in verse 5, where we started, um, just simply, he says, he is my inheritance. Um, And like an inheritance is something you receive from, you would essentially receive it from your parents. As at that time, as you would come of age, you would receive of inheritance, where if your parents would pass away, you would receive their inheritance. And it's like a plot of land or it's money or whatever it be. But David's looking at here, the king of Israel and being like, I have this, you know, he could have anything he wants in the world. And he says, no, 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 you alone are my inheritance, just the Lord. No gifts, no money, no silver, no land, nothing. He says, he is my inheritance. He's all I want to receive. He is enough. He says, I receive him in that verse. And we'll skip down to verse 7. 
And we can understand it with a context of as we read scripture, we look at it, it says, okay, he is my inheritance. So we look at verse 7 and say, because I have received him, because he is my inheritance, verse 7, we know he will bless, or I bless the Lord who guides me. So I know I've received him, and now he guides me because I receive him. That's how we can unpack the truth there. We know he is my inheritance. I receive him. He guides me. And there's beauty in that, that I don't do this journey alone. And we'll continue in verse 8, and we can understand that if he guides me, and then I look at that scripture and say, well, he is always with me. In verse 8, he says, Lord, I know he is always with me, and I will not be shaken because he's right beside me. There's strength and comfort in that. Hopefully that is strength and comfort for you right now. You don't feel alone because you are not. In verse 9 and 10 is where the big chunk of it comes, where this truth because these other things because I reside in him because he is my inheritance because I have received him verse 9 and 10 are true he says my body rests in safety he says you will not leave my soul among the dead you will not leave it with those suffering or allow your holy one to rot in the grave and so this can be interpreted in two ways One of those is he's prophesying and looking forward to the true Holy One of God being his son, Jesus Christ. And we know that God did not leave Jesus to rot in the grave and that on the third day he rose, conquering death and sin, allowing us to now be called holy. So in 1 Corinthians 1.30, it says, It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. So in Christ Jesus, the Holy One of God, if you are found in him, you are identified as holy by his holiness. So we can now look at Psalm 16 and say, all right, verse 9 is true for me. I am considered his holy one that will not rot in the grave either because I have Christ's covering. So I look at this, I will not, my soul will not be left here. I will not be left among the dead. I will not rot here. Since we are in Christ, we will not rot in the grave either. And continue in verse 11, he says, you will show me the way of life. And immediately when I read that, I think of a scripture, maybe some of you think of it, how Jesus referred to himself as the way in John 14. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's not saying, oh, maybe you could do that, or maybe you could do this. He says, there is absolutely no other way. He is the way to life. So we look at Psalm 16, and we say, okay, he's going to show me the way to life. He has. He said, I am the way to life. So we have the answer. We're like, okay, he's going to show me the way. The answer is, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He has shown it to me, granting me, man, Look at that. Look at verse 11. It says, granting me the joy of, the joy of what? I'll leave it to you so someone can say it. The joy of what? Your presence. Not the joy of this gift. The joy of a present. The joy of this good feeling right now. The joy of a good job. He says, the joy of your presence. Not present. Bo. A little play on words. Presence. That is powerful. I don't often sit in a place and say that. The joy of just being in his presence. I'm so much the person of, my day was the worst. 
Nothing is joyful. I feel horrible. I've been sick the past four days. I threw up more last week than I have my entire life. There's no joy in my life right now. And he says, have you not been brought into my presence? And I'm like, yeah, but like, God, come on, don't you get it? And I'm like, is this enough for you today? Is joy for me that I have been brought in the presence of Christ? And he finishes with the pleasures of living with you forever. The hope in that second coming of Jesus. That I am in the presence of him now that he has brought me near and that he has made a way for me, prepared a room for me in his father's house, that he is coming again and will take me there. And I'll be there forever. Is that enough? Or do I need to have a good day to say that I'm joyful? Or do I need the okay job to say I'm joyful? Man, church, I'm telling you, these are like literal thoughts I had this week. Not to any one of you, I promise. I'm not thinking of any one of you in mind. I'm thinking of myself. I wrestled with this this week. It hurt as I said, God, am I joyful just being in your presence? Church, this is our great, great joy that he has made a way for us to be brought into his presence and that we will spend eternity with him. And I only have this joy because of the coming of Christ Jesus. As we're how many days from Christmas now? Man, five days from Christmas. Wait, no, 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 more than that. Five, nine, eight, eight days from Christmas. Let's think about that, man. Like, we only have that. Like, it, sometimes it just doesn't feel like that, you know, Christmas moment with the lights and the hot chocolate or whatever, because that's not the Christmas moment. This is that I have joy because Christ has come. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, the angel said. Can we let that be the Christmas moment? His birth, his sinless life, his death and resurrection. I have hope in Jesus. I can have peace and restoration in and through him only. And have never-ending, unchanging joy because he has made a way for me to be in his presence forever and ever and ever. Amen? Amen. This is true, unchanging, never-ending joy. And I wrestled with that this week. Is this true for me? Is this just a word on a screen, a good thing that he's saying, is this my joy? Is this another Advent sermon? I mean, I've sat through 20 Advent sermons in my life. Maybe you've sat through more. Is this just another sermon I'm sitting through, or is this true joy? And I want us to sit and wrestle with it and come to a place of receiving and being like, yeah, this is my joy. And then here in a little bit, we're going to celebrate and worship through song and belt out that he is my joy. But I've got to deal with it a little bit first. I don't know about you, but I do. I'm not ready quite yet to stand up and say, there's joy in the house. I'm, I'm not there yet. That's okay. We'll get there. We have a little bit in our closing as we think about this. I came across this really cool comparison um, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, which, if you don't know this, the Bible is one whole story. It's not just separate books that have their own standalone story that have no connection. They do have standalone stories, but it's one main story that points to one 
thing, and it's God's plan of redemption. And so from the beginning, you can see that. From creation, you can see it all pointing to God's beautiful plan of redemption. And so as I spent time in a part of the Old Testament this week specifically, um, I'm, I'm going to give it to you in a minute because you're going to be hung up on it. So um, just focusing on God's beautiful redemption plan and how he painted this amazing picture in the Old Testament that seemed so confusing at the time and seemed so meticulous in these laws that then was this beautiful picture at the end and we get to celebrate and praise. And I'm telling you, it brought me to tears this week. It was beautiful. So that being said, it was in Leviticus. And you're, I know you're like, no way, Leviticus. Like, that's where I do my Bible reading journey, and I stop every time. Like, I do Genesis, Exodus. I'm telling you, I haven't had anything to eat these past four days. Um, and then you get to Leviticus, and you're like, well, I guess I'll try again next year. Um, but no, I'm telling you, this is where God really broke me this week. So stick with me. I'm telling you, there is beauty in all of God's word. It is his word. Um, so when God was giving his law to his people that he had just freed from slavery in Egypt, um, it's in Leviticus, and he's giving them, he's laying out all of this law for them as they're going to enter this land eventually because they're kind of roaming the desert for some mistakes they made. He's giving them this law and say, hey, when you enter into this place, this is to be the laws you follow. And he gives one that I want to focus on that was really cool. Um, it's called a year of jubilee. Maybe you've heard of it. Maybe you haven't. You're going to learn about it right now. No choice. Um, so jubilee, the word jubilee literally means in Hebrew, blast of a horn. And it means that because the start of the jubilee, they would blow a horn. We'll get to that. Um, but jubilee is defined in Leviticus 25 as the sabbatical year after seven cycles of seven years. So 49 years. On the 50th year was to be the time of celebration and rejoicing for the Israelites. The ram's horn was blown, and on the 10th day of the 7th month to the start of the 50th year of universal redemption. You got a sneak peek of that yet. Uh, we weren't there yet. Now we're about to be there. Um, so on this day, the 50th year starts, they blow the ram's horn. It sounds across the land. I'm sure there's a lot of ram's horns mixed in there that go across the whole land, and if you've ever seen Lord of the Rings, this is nerdy. Anyone seen Lord of the Rings in the room? I know some of you had. I made you watch it. Um, they, they light the beacon. I'm not going to say what it's called. It's really nerdy. They light this beacon to signal the other allies that they need help. And so they light this beacon, and then it's this beautiful cinematography of, like, mountains and beacons being lit and like drums and this great score and they're just like lit up across the mountains and you can see the next one lit and the next one lit and so I picture it like this like one horn is blown and then it's kind of faintly heard in the distance to the next person and and they blow the horn and it's just this huge celebration where they're like it is jubilee and so the year jubilee involved you got it already it's rest release from indebtedness and release from all types of bondage so basically all prisoners and captives were set free, all slaves were released, all debts were forgiven, and all property was returned to its original owners um, within the Hebrew nation. Um, in addition, all labor was to cease for one year. Um, you cannot farm the land. You can't plow it. You can't cut back at things to make them grow healthier. He says, take the year off. There is none of that to be done. He said, you can live off the land, similar to how they lived off the manna from heaven. He said, take what you need for the day, and I'll provide for tomorrow. 
Don't worry about next year. Your crops will be fine. So no work. And those bound by labor contracts were released from them. One of the benefits of Jubilee was that both the land and the people were able to rest. So if you don't see it now, I hope that you will. Do you see this picture of Jubilee and where we're going? Get ready. So I read this on it. This is going to be on the screen. Write these down because these were really awesome. Jubilee presents a beautiful picture of the New Testament themes of redemption and forgiveness. Christ is the Redeemer who came to set free those who are slaves and prisoners to sin. Write that scripture down. Oh, there was scripture. All right, you can write this down. Romans 8, 2. Write that down. The debt of sin we owe to God was paid on the cross as Jesus died on our behalf. You can see that in Colossians 2. So he's our Redeemer. He set us free. He paid our debt. And we are forgiven of that debt forever. We are no longer in bondage, no longer slaves to sin, having been freed by Christ. And we can truly enter into this rest God provides as we cease laboring to make ourselves acceptable to God by our own works. Write down Hebrews 4. Go back and read that this week. In the year of Jubilee, they had to trust that God would provide for them during this time. Trust that the fields would naturally produce and that they could just take what they needed and that the year after, they could farm the field like it was normal. There might be fear. There might be a huge fear of people in that, of saying, what am I supposed to do? I feel like I need to be doing more. And he says, no, 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 rest. Come on, don't you, don't you hear that? Isn't that beautiful? So some people have that fear. But can you imagine the great joy leading up to Jubilee for those in bondage and slavery in Israel? They probably looked forward to it their whole lives. This 50th year is coming. The horn is going to be blown. The day arrives. It's blown. They are set free. Their debt forgiven. No longer slaves and they can rest. Can you imagine the expectation and excitement and joy that would come as that horn is blown and they are released into freedom and rest? Come on church. Do we see this? Can't you see the beauty in God's painting of his word? And if you don't see it, Jesus said, just in case you didn't get this reference, look how I start my ministry in Luke chapter, uh, I think it's two. I don't have the chapter written down. He starts his gospel of Luke um, by this way. He's quoting Isaiah 61. He says, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood to read, this all being Jesus, by the way. He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. No coincidence that the scroll of Isaiah was handed to him. Like it was chosen before, handed to him. Come on, amazing. And then in verse 18 of Lucas says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He's quoting Isaiah here. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. They rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, 
this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Oh, man, like that's a drop the mic moment, um, which it probably wasn't in that moment. Like it probably caused a lot of problems and people were super mad. But we can sit up here and like that's drop the mic moment. Jesus says, the year of the Lord is here. This is Jubilee. Our Savior has come. He came as a baby. He was born just like you and I were born as a baby, but from a virgin, a miraculous birth. But it's important that he was born of flesh. He paid for our redemption, our wrongs that we had, this list of debts that we had accrued. You and I, Scripture says, were in bondage to slavery. We choose it. We actively walk into this slavery. You know you do it, and you feel this weight of slavery. And it says he paid that. He took that bondage, that note, that record of wrong, and he ripped it off the jail cell and hung it on the cross, and it now is stamped and says paid in full. By his blood, he set us free and calls us to rest in him. This is Jubilee. Blast the horn and celebrate, church. It is the year of the Lord. It has come. Our joy is here and it is coming again. This is true joy. It's not fleeting. It doesn't change. It's unshaking, unmoving. And it doesn't just happen at Christmas. It's a time where we look and focus back on it. Look at the beauty of that. Man, I'm just like, I sit in that place of that servant, that bond servant. And usually bond servants were a person who like owed a debt. Like they had to borrow money at some point. They couldn't afford, like they had to pay for their house. They had to borrow money. So they now are a bond servant to pay off that debt because they could never pay it off. So they're in a servitude to this person working hard all their life. Essentially, their money is going towards that debt they paid. So they're not making a wage. It's going to pay that off. Can you imagine the person working their life for that? This debt hanging over their head. Maybe it's a family inheritance that they're never getting rid of. When they chose to say, I can't, I can't. I'm stuck in this forever. I'm slaving all day and I'm never going to get there. I'll never be free. But God said, no, no, no. There is a thing called Jubilee. And on the 50th year, this horn will be blown and you're going to be set free and that record gone. And the people at the time were probably like, hey, that is unfortunate for those of us who have bond servants. But the bond servants are like, this is great. We're free. And God said, just wait till it all comes into picture. And you and I sit in this place before Christ of slavery. And we have our heads down and we're working every day and we say, I just, I can't get out of this debt I'm in. I can't ever pay it. I feel miserable. I have no hope. I have no peace. I have no joy. I have no love. This record hangs over me. Whatever am I going to do? And Jesus, his triumphant entry, he came and he said, the year of the Lord is here. And he freed us. That's incredible. I'm telling you, church, it brought me to a place of tears this week. I didn't deserve the horn to be blown and be freed. That is the joy. And it's not deserving that it is a gift and it was paid by the blood of Jesus. And it is for you. And you can be released from that debt. And you can be guided to life by him. And you can have peace and restoration and joy 
in Jesus, church. There's this incredible song I want to close by reading for you. It's from Maverick City Music, and it's incredible. It's titled Jubilee. Um, They actually have a whole album titled Jubilee. Check it out. Change your world. My top Spotify artist, no shame. Um, And this song is called Jubilee. So the lyrics will be on the screen. Follow along. Man, they moved me this week. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. I'm anointed to bring hope. We just read that in Isaiah. The promises fulfilled in a moment. We're still watching it unfold. There's good news for the captive. That's you and me. There's good news for the captive. A proclamation for every soul in this room. This liberty is for the broken. Me. An invitation to be made whole. Listen for the free man singing. He has delivered me. Look out for the woman shouting. His garment made me clean. Listen. For the seasons changing, he's rebuilding everything. Listen for the people singing, this is jubilee. And this is the response to you. This is their, their bridge. It says, there is true joy in his freedom. So open your heart and receive it. There is hope to believe in. Jesus, Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world. 